Those who do not learn from history are condemned to repeat its courses. Welcome back to the Locked on Buckeyes podcast. Good Monday, everybody. I am Kyle Lamb. I am your show host. I'm going to kick it a little old school, like NPR or PBS. Give a little refresher course on history, Ohio State history. I've got about a dozen reasons why you need to keep your eye on the prize. Don't get ahead of yourselves. There are some big games looming. Mind you, it's not coming up Saturday against Maryland or next Saturday against Rutgers. But there are some big games on paper, and I don't want anyone to be fooled. The Penn State-Michigan games, they loom in potential danger territory. Don't be, don't have a false sense of confidence by the two touchdown spreads looming for those two games at the end of November. Stay hungry, stay focused, stay thirsty, my friends. But I've got about 12 reasons for you to not get ahead of yourselves. We'll talk about that coming up in segment one, coming up later in the show. We'll talk big picture stuff. Ohio State 44-point favorites against Maryland. I don't foresee any problems there. Even bigger line coming up the following week against Rutgers. We'll talk about what Ohio State needs to do the next few weeks to get ready for Penn State and Michigan. We can look ahead. We're not playing. We can look ahead a little bit. Just don't get overconfident. And that includes the next two weeks. Finally, in segment number three, Ohio State basketball tipping it off Wednesday against Cincinnati in the rivalry game that isn't a rivalry. I'll talk about that. That's a good topic for today's show. We'll talk about why Ohio State-Cincinnati have not played much to speak of and why I hope that they play again. Big, big start to the season here for Ohio State. Cincinnati this week, Villanova next week. We'll talk some Ohio State hoops in segment three. Please tell your friends, your family, your friends' family. Tell them to listen to Locked on Buckeyes. You can follow us on iTunes, Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or even by saying play the Locked on Buckeyes podcast on your smart speakers. You can follow me on Twitter at KYLAM8. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Buckeyes Singular. Or make sure you follow me on my other platform, Unscripted Ohio. Please continue to listen to all the great Buckeyes and Ohio sports content over there as well. I have a jingle that I often play to begin my Monday episodes that I've been doing for a while. A couple of years I play this occasionally. It's the sounds like somebody has a case of the Mondays. If you're not familiar with that jingle, it's, it's actually a line from the movie Office Space. Great 1990s movie if you haven't seen it. I, I encourage you to go find it. It's, I'm sure it's streaming on a variety of platforms. The gist of the movie, of course, is that there are this gr- these group of this group of friends that work together at a place called Inatech, and and the whole movie is basically about them dreading going to work on a given day and a given week, and they're trying to make the most of it. And, and some of the minutia and the small things that drive you crazy at a job. It, it, it's a really good movie. It's, it's a funny movie. Everybody can relate to it, especially ones that have your typical nine to five corporate job. You know, all the HR policies that annoy the crap out of you. You'll relate to this movie. But I'm going to give you a real case of the Mondays today. And I, I don't want to be 
negative Nancy. I don't want to be the sap that just drains all the life out of you, sucks you to death. But I'm going to do it because I think it's a good history lesson. I saw a lot of remarks over the weekend in relation to to Michigan's game against Maryland. They bounced back. They won fairly big against Maryland, but granted, they were not all that impressive, especially offensively. Their offense, which had been hailed as being back the last couple of weeks, was not really back against Maryland. Despite the 38 points, they only put up, I think, 330 yards, about five yards per play. The national average, by the way, is about five and a half yards of play. So they were under the national average against a team that is below average to begin with. So it wasn't a very good offensive performance by Michigan. The run game has been inconsistent in, in recent weeks. It's been up and down, but it has looked better at times. The pass game is what it is. They don't have a lot of big play guys. They can throw it up and, and let Nico Collins catch it, but they don't have guys that can take a slant pattern or a, a wide receiver screen to the house. They just don't have those type of guys. So Ohio, Ohio State, if I were looking ahead against a, a theoretical matchup against Michigan, it's not theoretical because it will happen. They are playing later this month. I think Ohio State is, is significantly better than Michigan. On paper, I would expect them to be significantly better against Michigan. Ohio State is, in fact, with the look-ahead point spread lines that come out a couple weeks before each big game, about two touchdown favorites over both Penn State and Michigan. But I saw some commentary from various people, and I'm not going to call you out. It's not that I, I begrudge you for thinking this or that I think you're wrong necessarily, but I saw some people just you know saying they cannot see Michigan beating Ohio State. We've seen this movie before. If you're over the age of 30, you remember, and I'm probably going to give you post-traumatic stress syndrome in this episode because I'm going to unearth some former games. We're going to talk about some past failures. Because Ohio State has been in this situation before, and it has not ended well. That that 14-point spread is danger territory. It has been in the past. Think about some of these games in recent years. 2018, 13 and a half point favorite at Purdue. That ended in a loss. 2017, a 17 point favorite at Iowa. That ended in a loss. 2015 in the horseshoe, that rainy fateful day where Zeke just didn't get the carries he deserved. Ohio State, a 13-point favorite over Michigan State, and they lost. In 2014, an 11-point favorite at home against Virginia Tech, it lost. Now, that game did not ruin the season. That was early in the year. It didn't really make much of a difference. It was a, a young, upstart Ohio State team that was going with a new quarterback. You can make all the excuses in the world. And they would be valid excuses considering the way Ohio State got it together, regrouped, and wound up winning the national title that year. But you go back 2009, Ohio State a 13-point favorite at Purdue. They lost that game. 2007, Ohio State at home was a 15-and-a-half-point favorite against Juice Williams in Illinois. They lost because of the crazy final weekend in college football 
Ohio State still wound up in the BCS National Championship game against LSU. They didn't get it done, but that loss didn't wind up hurting Ohio State too much. But if those aren't stark reminders why you shouldn't get too far ahead, we're going to give a couple more reminders. 1993. It wasn't even an upset in the truest of definitions, but it does deserve inclusion. Ohio State was actually a one-point underdog in Ann Arbor in 93. But they fought the law, and unfortunately, the law won. A pair of interceptions by Michigan defensive back Ty Law helped suffocate number 5 Ohio State to death before half had even arrived. Using a 21-0 lead in the locker room at half, Michigan cruised to an eventual 28-0 victory. It was a miserable follow-up in the rivalry to a previous year when Ohio State scored its greatest win ever in history, a 13-13 tie in the horseshoe against then 8-0-2 Michigan Wolverines. Greatest win ever, you say? Those are the immortal words of former Ohio State President E. Gordon Gee, who remarked that tie was the greatest victory in Ohio State history. Not my words. But even after a miserable 212 yards of total offense in 1993, the Buckeyes still had a sign of life after that loss to Michigan. With a Michigan State victory in Tokyo over Wisconsin, who Ohio State tied earlier in the year, they still could head west for Pasadena and a date with UCLA in the Rose Bowl. John Cooper even went so far to guarantee victory. While Coop did get the payoff on the guarantee, it wasn't the one he wanted. The Badgers cruised into Japan, and the Buckeyes were relegated to an inappropriately named Holiday Bowl, where there was little cheer, nor did it really feel like much of a holiday. Ohio State did finally prevail over BYU 28-21 in the Holiday Bowl, but the Michigan Grinch stole this Christmas for the Buckeyes. 1995, Eddie George, Orlando Pace, Terry Glenn, Sean Springs, Bobby Hoying. The names slip off the tongues of Buckeye fans so seamlessly, many could pass themselves off as Ohio State historians. But it was a man many Ohio State backers did not know and a name fewer could pronounce that defined a late November day in 1995. The Buckeyes entered Ann Arbor undefeated, having already beaten six ranked teams, including Notre Dame and Penn State, and back-to-back weeks earlier that year. This was the season John Cooper was finally able to get that elusive career-defining win against Michigan, right? Sure, Ohio State had beaten the Wolverines just one year earlier in Columbus, but this was different. Ohio State, number two in the country and tied for Northwestern as unbeatens in the Big Ten, was sitting on a shot at a Rose Bowl, the first in 10 years. More importantly, they were loitering on prime real estate for a long overdue national title. However, 37 carries and 313 yards later, Michigan again foiled the Buckeyes season as running back Tim Biakabatuka. Tim Biakabatuka found cracks creases and crevices you may never known existed. On a field full of scarlet-suited stars, Bianca Batuka made his own a household name and stole the show against an Ohio State team favored by nine and a half points. As Ohio State limped home and had to watch the Wildcats enjoy the trip to Pasadena, falling to Keyshawn Johnson and the USC Trojans, 
The season ended with a Citrus Bowl loss to Tennessee and a young sophomore quarterback by the name of Peyton something. Not sure who that guy is. 1996. It couldn't happen again. It wouldn't happen again, right? 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 <clears throat> Wrong. Ohio State supposedly bigger, better, stronger, faster than the star-studded lineup the Buckeyes marched into Michigan the year before. Tripped and fell, literally, as a 17-point favorite in the shoe against a forgettable 7-3 Wolverines team. Uncomfortably nursing a 9-0 third-quarter lead against Michigan, disaster struck when the Buckeyes' All-American quarterback Sean Springs slipped against the Michigan slant route, allowing receiver Ty Streets to go almost 70 yards for a touchdown. The play brought about a memorable gasp over Ohio Stadium that, to this day, anyone there can remember firmly in the back of their minds. The uneasiness never subsided, nor did fortunes turn. The Wolverines added a pair of field goals and escaped Columbus with its third win over a top-five Ohio State team in four seasons. Though the Buckeyes did go to a heartwarming Rose Bowl upset of Jake Plummer and unbeaten Arizona State, it was another irritating asterisk on an otherwise fine season thanks to an improbable defeat. 1998. Now some good news. At least this time, it wasn't Michigan. But it was still at the hands of a team from up north. The 98 season had Ohio State fans feeling remarkably confident. They were number one in America and had been since the preseason. Not even the past failures against Michigan could stand in the way of the Buckeyes juggernaut this time that many had penned as being arguably the best in its long history. And ironically, they may have been right about that Michigan not standing in their way. Ohio State did dispose of Michigan that season, 31-16. John Cooper was even able to exercise another of his demons with an impressive 10-point win against number 8 Texas A&M in the Sugar Bowl. But they weren't in New Orleans for the food, the parties, or even the bowl festivities. They were there because of one of the most shocking losses in its history. The Buckeyes weren't supposed to lose to a younger Nick Saban. It was an unremarkable Michigan State team that inspired so little confidence they entered the game 27.5 point underdogs to the Buckeyes. More shocking is that the Buckeyes did jump out to a 24-9 lead as if they were every bit the machine prognosticators expected. But MSU slowly and methodically turned a 15-point deficit into a 4-point lead. Joe Germain's final pass in the closing seconds was picked off in the end zone after three previous attempts, and every Ohio State fan remembers the paralyzing moment as if it were the day of the first moon landing Kennedy's assassination or their first kiss. Michigan State had knocked off the mighty Buckeyes 28-24. History fondly remembers that team even now. Some, myself included, think of that as arguably the best team in Ohio State lore. But that loss just underscores the missed opportunity even more. And then you have 1969. They said they couldn't be beat. They said it was the greatest team of all time. The 1969 Ohio State team was defending national champs, riding the thrill of a 22-game win streak. They were tough. They were skilled. They had talent seemingly at every position. Not only were they 8-0 no 
entering the semi-annual pilgrimage up I-75 north to Ann Arbor. They had done so with shocking ease, having blitzed every team they played by 27 points or more. This team was unstoppable, so everyone thought. But Michigan, a 17-point underdog, had other plans. It's not that Ohio State had little to play for. In fact, a win surely guaranteed a repeat national title since the Big Ten's league policy forbade them from returning to the Rose Bowl under the no-repeat rule. But led by Woody Hayes' disciple Bo Schembechler, the upstart Wolverines were hungry for vengeance. Having been steamrolled in the previous season by 50 points, Michigan launched an unexpected first strike that catapulted the two programs into what is now affectionately known as, quote, the 10-year war, the most fiercely contested decade in series history. Still today, this game is seen as a cautionary tale, a hedge against any complacency imaginable. Regarded as one of the notable upsets in college football history, there is no better reminder why the game is never to be taken for granted. And that, my friends, is why you stay on guard. Don't get ahead of yourselves. Penn State, Michigan, those games are coming. And while I will never rule out a total blitzkrieg by the Buckeyes this year, the way they're playing, it's just a healthy reminder. Coming up next, we'll talk more about Ohio State's big, big point spread coming up against Maryland and how they're heavy favorites the next two weeks and what I think Ohio State needs to do to progress forward towards those big showdowns later this year. Going to be discussing Ohio State basketball here in the next segment, I do have a rhetorical question. If you're an Ohio State football fan first, I want you to answer me this question. Why are you unable to multitask? Why are you able to follow basketball and football simultaneously? Because I hear a lot of you say, I follow basketball, but not till after football is over. The implication being you're unable or unwilling to follow both sports simultaneously. Really always wondered that. Hit me up on Twitter at KYLAM8 if this is you. Would love to hear why you don't follow basketball until after football is over. If you just don't have an interest in basketball, then this wouldn't apply to you. This is more for the people that do follow basketball after football is over. Are you not able to turn on a TV during the week, Monday through Friday, can you not take those two hours to watch a basketball game? I don't mean to be snarky. I'm honestly curious. I've always wondered that. Never really actually got a good answer why that is. Like sometimes I know people just don't get into a sport until after it gets going. I get that. But it's almost like when I people hear people say it, it's the implication really is that they're unable to follow it until football's over, as if it's too distracting to follow both. Would love to hear that answer, but we'll talk Ohio State-Cincinnati coming up in the final segment. Really, really interesting why Ohio State and Cincinnati haven't played more in the regular season. We'll discuss some of that history and what I'd like to see of the series going forward. In the meantime, Ohio State, a 44-point favorite coming up this week against Maryland. It's the first Saturday, only the second Saturday in the last month that Ohio State has played. Look, let's just be honest. It, it's funny. I just spent the first segment telling everybody why you should remember upsets happen. <laughs> and now I'm going to tell you 
I'm not too worried about an upset in this case. This is this would be a historically big upset. Uh, more, you know, the worst upset that I mentioned in all those games previously was 27 and a half. The 98 loss to Michigan State. 44 points would be an all-timer. A couple years ago, when UNLV, UNLV lost to Howard, FCS Howard, that I believe was the biggest point spread deficit of all time by an underdog to win. I think it was 46 points. So 44 points is the open line with Maryland and Ohio State. So if Maryland were to beat Ohio State, we're talking not just one of the greatest upsets of all time by sheer importance of the game, but statistically would be one of the greatest upsets of all time. So if you're Ohio State, and this is where I differ from people here. I see a lot of people discussing this on Twitter. They, their goal is to get Justin Fields out by halftime and not have him go out in the second half. I agree with that in principle. Where I disagree is I don't think you go into a game if you're Ryan Day. I don't think you go in saying, Justin, we're going to try to get you out by halftime. You have, got, you have got to treat this as if there is a legitimate chance that Maryland wins. I'm not saying it has to be you know Nick Saban rat poison type stuff. You don't have to treat your players like they're stupid, okay? We know, we all know as humans when somebody is better than another team. I don't think you have to treat the players like they're idiots. They, they understand that they're a huge favorite and they should be. They've earned that. I think this Ohio State team has the mentality and the mindset to go in and still treat this as if they have something to prove, even though they know they're the best team in the country. That's a great thing to have. When you have a team that can embrace being the best, you don't have to take the underdog approach with a team like this. So you go into this game, you understand that you're better than Maryland. Some of those guys are going to know that they're 40-point favorites against Maryland. But I don't think you want to take the approach, the strategy of telling your guys that the goal was to get them out by halftime. I just don't think you ever go into a game talking about that, strategizing like that, prepping like that. I think you have to go in the game with the mindset that this is going to be a four-quarter game, even though it's probably not. Just go into the mindset, play it like a normal game, get a big lead, and if you're up 40, 50 points at halftime, then say, Justin, you're done. Pat, pat him on the back, Ryan Dale, pat him on the back, pat him on the shoulder, say, great game, we're bringing in Chug or Gunner, okay? That's how you got to approach this. You need to get Fields sat down as soon as possible, but you got to have a big lead to do it. So you got to go in with, with sharp focus and make sure that you build a big lead first or else none of that matters. As big as this point spread is, 44 points and potentially counting, next week could be insanely big. We're talking potential for 50, 55, or more points. The all-time record, as I understand it, for a conference game 
Conference Power 5 game is 57 in 1987, Oklahoma over Kansas State. We could be venturing into that territory. It could be a mid to upper 50s type of point spread at kickoff with Ohio State Rutgers. You're, you're looking basically at Ohio State team that statistically and analytically is one of the greatest ever. And I mean that. That's Again, I've, I've stressed this so many times on the podcast. That's not me talking, saying this is one of the greatest team ever. No, this is the stats and analytics saying this. They really are in the conversation of that elite stratosphere right now. So when you have one of the statistically greatest teams of all time, the way they're playing against one of the worst power five teams of all time. That's a combination for a large point spread. And that's where we're at right now. Ohio state is looking like a 50 plus point favorite against Rutgers, maybe 55, maybe 57 or 58, maybe even 69. It could, or 59. I'm sorry. It could get that high. So Ohio state, the next two weeks, they just need to go out, take care of business. I think even in their worst game possibly played, I can't see Rutgers finishing within three or four touchdowns of them. There's just too much of a difference. Maryland, I think, is a little bit different. Maryland at least has talent. They have some offensive playmakers. They have some guys on a few guys on defense that can make plays. Keandre Jones, of course, the transfer from Ohio State, playing really well. He's having a big season for them. They have some talent there. So Ohio State really does need to take Maryland seriously. Rutgers is just one of those games where it's going to be ugly. I think Ohio State could bring Chug in, play for four quarters, and still run Rutgers out of the building. I don't think you take that approach, as I said. I think you have to treat this as if it's a legitimate game, but it's not going to be close. So Ohio State just needs to stay healthy, get Justin Fields among the rest of the stars, Chase Young, out of the game as soon as possible, wrap the W up, look decent in doing it, and move on to those last two games in November. Penn State, Michigan. That's what it's all coming down to. Coming up in the third segment, Ohio State basketball talk. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at KYLAM8. Follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnBuckeyesSingular. We're on Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, etc., etc. Hope you will tell a friend, tell your family, get everybody listening to Locked on Buckeyes. We'll be back in a second. Ohio State, Cincinnati, tipping it off Wednesday evening from Value City Arena. It's college basketball season, folks. Get in the mood. If you love college basketball, if you like Ohio State basketball, there's no reason to wait until January. There is so much going on in the first two months of this season. Cincinnati on Wednesday, Villanova a week from Wednesday, Kentucky out in Vegas at North Carolina in the ACC Challenge, West Virginia in late December up in Cleveland. Two Big Ten games before the turn of the year. Folks, Ohio State Hoops is here. Get into it right away. We're talking about a top 20 team on paper. Ken Palm, preseason projections have them number 11. This is a really talented team, folks. You're going to enjoy the point guard play, something that did not happen last year. C.J. Walker transferred from Florida State. D.J. Carton, top 50 freshman from Iowa. Very, very talented, very explosive player. Reminds me a little bit of Mark Baker, old school 
said that he's a better shooter. Baker couldn't shoot, but he was athletic, could really get the team up and down the floor. DJ Carton is a lot like that. This is a fun team to watch. I promise you that you will not be disappointed if you happen to flip the channels on a Wednesday evening in November and find Ohio State basketball on the television. Do so. It's well worth your time. I'm really glad Ohio State Cincinnati are playing. I don't know what the future holds for the series. Chris Holtman has alluded to the possibility of continuing the series. Obviously, these two teams are not really rivals, although they should have been. They could have been. There are a lot of reasons why they haven't played. There's not any one single reason. Back in the 60s and 70s, Ohio State viewed Cincinnati as a renegade program, didn't believe that they were recruiting ethically. There were a lot of politics involved, dating back to the two times that they played in the NCAA championship. That carried on basically into the 70s. In the 80s, especially into the 90s, there were a variety of reasons. I know athletic former athletic director at Ohio State, Andy Geiger, did not care for Bob Huggins, did not care for the Cincinnati program. Of course, you've got 1993. Ohio State commitment Damon Flint from Cincinnati Woodward High School had committed to Ohio State. It was later ruled he could not go to Ohio State by the NCAA because he had a campus meal an off-campus meal that was paid for by Ohio State, which was an NCAA violation, was also given a gym bag that was considered an improper inducement. It got reported to the NCAA by an anonymous source at his high school, and then he wound up going to Cincinnati instead. On a side note, Mick Cronin happened to be an assistant coach at Cincinnati Woodward at the time, And a year later, he wound up as a video coordinator at the University of Cincinnati. You can draw your own conclusions there. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying. Of course, Cronin wound up eventually being the head coach of Cincinnati much, much later. But the combination of Ohio State coaches and and athletic officials not liking Bob Huggins, and then later, Thad Mata did not care for Mick Cronin whatsoever. Mick Cronin and Thad Mata had a very, very rocky relationship. A lot of it stemmed to the 2006 recruitment of Yancey Gates. Mick Cronin accused Thad Mata a couple of times of improper recruiting. I think most Ohio State fans know that that's highly unlikely, as Thad Mata has always been considered a stand-up recruiter, a stand-up guy that did not cheat. But Mick Cronin did not care for Thad, made a couple comments. Those two didn't care for each other. Of course, Mick Cronin came out in 2006 after they played over in Conseco Fieldhouse in Indianapolis and kind of ran his mouth about it being convenient that Ohio State was willing to schedule that game because Cincinnati had just been taken over by Cronin and it was in really, really poor shape. Now, Ohio State did not schedule that game. It was a third-party promote promoter that set it up, but Ohio State was willing to play at the time, and of course Cincinnati, they fired back some shots at Ohio State for the willingness and the timing of that game being played. So there really isn't one single reason why these two teams haven't played, but there are so, there's always been so much bad blood, and there are a number of reasons over the years that it hasn't happened, but here we are, the second 
return meeting of a home and home between these two teams. I hope it continues. I know Ohio State has a dreaded schedule. They have 20 Big Ten games. They have the Big Ten ACC Challenge. They're involved in the CBS Sports Classic, which this year is Kentucky. Of course, it rotates with North Carolina, UCLA as well. With all these scheduling commitments, I understand why it would be difficult for Chris Holtman to commit to playing this game year in, year out. I personally would love nothing more than to see Ohio State involve Xavier and or Dayton in a rotating series or a mini Ohio Ohio basketball tournament. I know that that's not likely, especially with all these scheduling commitments. But man, what a great series this could be. I'm looking forward to a great game. I'll preview it a little bit more the next two days. But I'm glad that this series is being played. I think it's going to be an exciting game Wednesday. This is a good Cincinnati team. They have their top three scorers back. They have a top 50 freshman coming in on this team. A couple grad transfers. John Brandon, new head coach at Cincinnati, I think is going to do great things with that program. Of course, Cronin is now at UCLA. This is going to be a tough test for Ohio State, and I'm looking forward to it. should be a great game. But this is a game, until last year, they went almost 100 years without playing each other on campus. That shouldn't have happened, ever. Especially when Cincinnati got to be a really good program in the 50s and 60s. At some point thereafter, these two should have been playing. The Bob Huggins years, Mick Cronin years, this should have been a regular thing. I'm glad it's here. I hope it stays. That's going to do it for Locked On Buckeyes. We'll talk more Ohio State basketball throughout the week. Big game coming up. Season tip-off Wednesday, Ohio State, Cincinnati, Villanova coming up next week. We'll, of course, continue to look ahead, albeit at a very unenthusiastic matchup with Ohio State and Maryland this week. 44-point favorites as of the Open on Sunday. We'll talk more about that later this week. Four more shows coming up on Lock on Buckeyes. Hit me up at Twitter, at KYLAM8. Hit the show up, at Lock on Buckeyes, singular. You can catch us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. That's going to do it for me. We'll catch you again Tuesday. Have a great day, everybody.